I'd like to thank my sponsors, Round the X and Voyager, for making today's episode possible. We'll hear much more about them later on in the episode. What's up, everybody? This is Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every single week I talk to your favorite personalities in Bitcoin, finance, art, music, sports, politics, basically anyone with an interesting story to tell. And this show is powered by Blockworks Group a media company that has a network of over 20 podcasts. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. Now, if you like the podcast, you follow me on Twitter, then you got to definitely uh, check me out at my website. That's the hub for everything that I do, including my free newsletter. You can sign up for that's at thewolfofallstreets.io. Now, on to what's more important as today's guest, who is a well-known British rapper, author, podcaster, fitness expert. Clearly, you can't put this dude in a box. Uh, he's got a list of hit singles and hot takes. Zuby's rise to fame has led to him appearing as a guest on some of the media's largest shows, notably like Joe Rogan. His unique social media personality and style of music have attracted both a strong fan base, but also a relentless mob ready to attack anything he has to say. So Zuby, man, thank you so much for, for being here today. Happy to be here, Scott. It's a, pre- it's a pleasure, man. So as I touched on, I-, I love following you on Twitter because you're one of the few people who actually says what they feel and is unapologetic about it. And I find that to be a rare thing, especially uh, in 2020. So first, I got to say that I, I really appreciate that. And I, I want to get to the core of why you are that way and how you basically have the balls to, to be a, as such. So I know like you grew up in Saudi Arabia, you ended up in England. Could you give a bit of your backstory, like kind of how you became who you are? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I was born in the UK in um in england to be more specific when i was a baby my family moved to saudi arabia so my family background is originally from nigeria both of my parents are originally nigerian so i lived in saudi arabia for 19 years i went to school there from preschool all the way up until fifth grade and then after that i went to the uk i went to a boarding school in the uk for secondary school did really well in the UK, got top marks in all my exams. I got accepted to Oxford University. I went there and studied computer science for three years, graduated. When I was in Oxford, I actually um, started making music. So I wrote and released my first album, Commercial Underground, independently when I was in my second year of university. Then after that, um, I did my music full time for one year. Then I moved to London and worked in the corporate world as a management consultant for three years, whilst juggling my music stuff on the side. And then in November 2011, I left that job. I became self-employed and became a full-time artist. So I've been doing my thing now independently for approaching nine years now. It'll be nine years in November. So it all started out with me just being a rapper. And then over time, it's sort of grown and expanded to all of those things that you mentioned at the beginning. So now I'm, I'm still a rapper. I still make music. I put out an album last year and a single a couple months ago. But um, I'm also now known as a podcaster. I've got my own podcast, Real Talk with Zuby. Wrote my first fitness book last year, Strong Advice. And I also do um, you know, coaching and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Well, Saudi Arabia is not exactly notorious for free thinking and uh, for allowing people to, you know, express themselves, especially obviously women. So how did you come out of, you know, 19 years in, in Saudi Arabia with sort of this attitude towards life and, you know, the, the thought that everybody should obviously be able to support or speak their truth? Mm. Well, it's kind of funny because there's stuff that you can say in Saudi Arabia very freely that you can't say in the UK. 
<laughs> and then there's stuff you can right. say in the UK that you probably wouldn't want to ex- express openly in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny one to me because I don't even live in a country where you've truly got, you know, people say you've got freedom of speech in the UK, but you don't really. Um, and I'm not sure that I think the US is the only country where you sort of have that like 100 percent legally actually most countries around the world pretty much every country except the u.s doesn't have that the uk doesn't have it canada doesn't have it no country in europe has it etc um and so it's it's kind of an interesting thing um i mean where i grew up in saudi arabia of course i, I grew up mainly in an expat community of course so i'm very open about the fact that where i grew up and where i lived and my experience is going to be different to a saudi national or for someone who's you know depending on, you know, like depending on where you're from, what you're doing over there, who you are, etc., you're going to have a very different experience. I think that goes for every city, every country, every place in the world. And I think for somewhere like Saudi, that's probably even more the case. So I can't speak on behalf of like everybody else who's lived there. I can only speak from my own experience and say, look, I understand that my experience is going to be different to another person's and some people, you know, of all demographics will have positive views. Some people have negative views, et cetera. Um, but I don't think that is super unique to somewhere like Saudi Arabia in the way that right. people say it is, you know, I know people who think that America is like the worst country in the world and it's this horrible oppressive hellhole. And then I know lots of people who think it's the best, most free, you know, most free country in the world. Um, and I don't know, everyone just has really different views and experiences on all this stuff. So I just try to be honest and authentic with everything I do, everything I say, but also be, yeah, just, just be honest about the facts and say, yeah, my, this is my experience. This is what I think, but I can't speak for everybody else. I just had Peter McCormick on the podcast, like released last week. And he said the exact same thing because he obviously has that libel suit from Craig Wright, you know, the, uh, Craig Wright isn't Satoshi thing. He was like, man, I would kill to live in the United States right now. Um, Mm. he's like, because the libel laws and all all of this stuff in the UK is sort of backwards. And, you know, he was like, his experience wouldn't have been the same if he had lived here where we have a true first amendment and free speech. But when Mm -hmm. you live in America, maybe you don't realize that, uh, we do have it the best in, in that regard. I think that a lot of people that's missed on people, but you really can say and do whatever you want here, which is a, a rare thing, I think, yeah. in the world. So I want to touch on something you said. It's interesting. You went to Oxford and you became a rapper. I went to the University of Pennsylvania and I became a DJ and a producer and everybody thought I was nuts, right? Mm-hmm. They were like, you can go to Wall Street, make money, whatever. And I instead I like DJed at crappy bars in Philadelphia for like $300 cash a night and tried to scrape it by, you know what I mean? What, I hear you. what gave you the empowerment, I guess, to, to say, you know, screw it. I'm doing this. Like I'm going to be me. I'm going to become a rapper. I'm throwing that all behind and, and I'm going to go for it. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of that is just my personality type. I'm someone who doesn't really do things by half measures, you know, in, in the words of my sister, I'm a very binary individual. Like either I do something and I do it properly or I just don't do it. I don't like to dabble in things. Um, you know, this goes with everything I do. If I say I'm going to write a book, boom, you know, next month the book is written. If I say I'm going to, you know, learn a language, I'm actually going to learn it. If I say I'm going to create something, I'll actually create it. So that's part of it. I've just always had that kind of mentality. Another part is that I'm not someone who is, you know, 
I don't care to fit in for the sake of fitting in. Like, I don't go out of my way to be sort of contrarian on everything or to go against the grain. There's a lot of stuff that's considered normal, which I think is great and should be. Um, but just because other people are around me are doing something doesn't mean I'm going to do it. I'm not very easily influenced by the herd. I've been like, again, I've been like this always. So say during like my teenage years, you know what I mean? Like I've never smoked a cigarette. I don't drink alcohol. I've never tried any sort of, you know, drug or anything. And I've never yeah. even felt pressured to, you know, I remember times in my teenage years or university years where lots of people around me were, you know, doing certain things or whatever. And I'm just like, nah, you know, uh, that doesn't interest me. It's just not, it's not me. And even when it comes to a lot of the thoughts and opinions and views and things or whatever I put out there, it's just very much my own independent thought. If sure it might, some things will go with the majority opinion. Some things, uh, sometimes I think the majority opinion is totally wrong and I'll say it. I could be in a room of a hundred people and I could have a different opinion on to, to the other 99 and I won't be afraid to say it in the way that most people would. So I think a lot of that is just personality. And then beyond that, I also know what my goal in life is. And I know I'm trying to have like a very, very disproportionate impact on the world and on society compared to what most people's ambitions are. And I knew that there's no way I'm going to do that working for somebody else or working at a desk in a sort of any type of standard job. So that's why I knew I had to make that leap early. Well, could you elaborate on that goal? Cause like, yeah, sure. it, it's one of those things. It's like, there's very few people I think who aim that high. I think I'm mm -hmm. one of them as well. Like I just want, I don't know if it's an ego thing or, or what it is. Like I can't mm. really touch on it. I want to be remembered. You know, that was a big part of putting out music and doing those things. And I want to impact people's lives. I want them to, you know, I, yeah. I really think that I can do that. I think most people stay in their jobs and don't worry about that at all. So like, what mm. is that bigger goal for you? What is that ambition? Yeah, sure. So I want to have a positive impact and a clear positive impact and influence on over 10 million people. Um, it used to be a million and I think I've possibly done that already now. Yeah. Um, so that. I've upped it to 10, you know, in a couple of years, it might be a hundred million, but you know, when, when I, when I meet, <laughs> when my life is over, I want 10 million people or more to genuinely miss me and genuinely feel that I had some positive impact or influence on them through my words, through my actions, through my art, through things I create, etc. And to me, that just comes down to the desire to fulfill my potential um, and to help other people. Like the world, everybody needs help in different ways. And there's so much negativity in the world. And I try to be a counterbalance to that, right? Even in the world of hip hop and music, as you know, there's so much, there's so much negativity out there. There's so much messaging that you know, let's be real, isn't, isn't making right. things better for people or making young people sort of think better or act better, etc. So sure, I can't reach everybody, but I've been given a unique set of talents and skills and experiences. So to me, it's like my ethical duty to make the most of that, how far it can go, how high it can reach. I don't know. I know it's, you know, millions of people. So it's my job daily to try to take steps forward in that regard. So that's where it sort of stems from for me. Yeah, I have a feeling that number is going to be 100 million and billion, <laughs> you know, I mean, why not? So it's interesting, though, because you've definitely hit the million. I mean, with 300,000 something followers on Twitter alone, you, I mean, mm -hmm. you can you can actually quantify that, which is kind of interesting in this day and age. 20 years ago, you wouldn't have been able to sort of see 
what your reach was or, or yeah. you know, if you accomplished that sort of goal. So, so, yeah, so I know you're a, a Kanye fan. Um, mm-hmm. and I've, I've seen you, uh, talk about him a bit in the past, talking about my days early in Philly. So I used to DJ at a place called, uh, the five spot in Philadelphia, Philadelphia. And they had a party on Tuesday nights. It was called black Lily. And it was, uh, the roots were the house band and like Jill Scott and all these people. It was just like the local thing. DJ Jazzy mm-hmm. Jeff was there, but they had a producer like competition and Kanye showed up from New York, like, this is like 2000, you know, 2001 rolled in with his backpack, NPC blew everyone's minds. That was my first intro to Kanye. And then I have randomly had like this consulting marketing job at Rockefeller records, like a couple of years later. And I happened to be in the room when he was, uh, doing the art for the college dropout. Like he was basically just tearing (laughs) apart the art they had done for the college dropout. I should say. So like, I come from a place where like, I respect his genius, but Mm -hmm. I really don't like him very much as a person. And so like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to your feelings on him. I know that you think maybe he's been like abused by the culture to some degree. And he's also one of those people who obviously wants to impact everybody. You know, I don't like the guy very much, like I said, and I think he's done some pretty awful, had some pretty awful takes, you know, but maybe that comes with that level of genius. I don't know. So I'm curious your thoughts on him because I know you've spoken openly about that. Yeah, sure. No, I, I love Kanye both um, musically and uh, I love his personality and what he adds to the cultural conversation as well. Does that mean I agree with every single thing he's ever said? No, I don't agree with anything everybody, anybody has, has said ever. Um, you know, there's, there's no individual, including myself, where I agree with absolutely everything they say. Sometimes I say something and then I'm like, eh, I wouldn't have said that in hindsight. So right. that's just humanity. But um, I think his voice is, I think it's not even just now, like I've always thought his voice is so, so, so necessary. And there is so much, there are just so many doors he's opened, which I don't even think he gets credit for, right? I think that there are so many rappers nowadays who, you know, Kanye was the blueprint. Kanye opened that door for so many people both musically, but also culturally. And he's always been someone who, you know, hasn't always gone with the herd. I mean, when Kanye blew up, that was sort of right in the sort of aftermath of the whole sort of 50 cent G unit era where it was very much, you know, like gangster rap, right? It was, you know, it was dip set and G unit and, you know, everything was sort of thugged out and whatever. And then Kanye came along with songs like, you know, all falls down and Jesus walks, um, you know, never let you, you know, it's, it's like, he and and he got a lot of criticism off that, right? I remember when you remember when he came out against homophobia and hip hop, and he was like, you know what, guys, like maybe maybe we shouldn't be you know throwing around the f word, maybe we shouldn't be saying all this about people, etc. And he caught a ton of flack because that was very, that's very countercultural, right. right? And now I think sort of over time, people have been like, oh yeah, you know that was that was ahead of his time, right? I remember when he made a statement about you know George Bush doesn't care about black people in the aftermath of Katrina and. A lot of the people criticizing him now, you know, lo- loved him then. But, uh, you know, now that, now that yeah, they found they, they it. Feel okay. like you, they feel like you're saying the opposite now. So I guess yeah, that they, that's, exactly. you know, they, 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 it's kind of, it takes a little cognitive dissonance to reconcile those two. But I Exactly. But with me, I've been like, I've been a Kanye fan all the way through because I'm just like, look, that is someone who, and I think people don't read between the lines of what he's saying. Like the amount of important stuff that he's saying and has been saying for years and people take the dumbest version of it. And sure, he doesn't always articulate himself perfectly well, but if you understand the point that he's making and you look at the wider perspective of it, 
it resonates massively with me. And a lot of it is stuff I've been saying for decades, literally, like since I was a teenager, some of the stuff he's saying, I've been like trying to hammer home to people and I've never had the platform to do. I've, I've got a bigger, much bigger platform now than I did, but nowhere near Kanye's size. So a lot of the stuff he says, it's like, geez, thank you. Like somebody is saying this stuff out loud and yeah, people are going to try to say, you know, people, I don't know, man. I, I think he's, he's exposed a lot of stuff, man. He's really exposed a lot of stuff and I love to see it personally. So, I mean, you've said that, you know, when you've defended him, you said that the culture itself is sick. I mean, yes. so what do, you, what do you mean by that? Oh gosh, where do I begin? Um, I mean, it depends on which culture we're, we're talking <laughs> about here. Like, you know, look, there are a lot of issues in many aspects of hip hop and rap culture and there are issues in many aspects of, you know, let me just say black American culture. Okay. And he's clearly a representative of both parts of it. Some people don't like me talking about America because, you know, I'm obviously not an American myself. So if I say something that they don't agree with, they try to dismiss it by saying, oh, well, you know, you're not an American. But the truth is sometimes it's better to analyze things objectively when you are not too yeah. close to them. Right. And sure. Look, if you look, I love hip hop to death, man. I love hip hop culture. Like I'm a rapper, but it is undeniable that there is are some aspects of the culture and the messaging um, and some people's behaviors and stuff that gets encouraged, which is which is trash, which is garbage. Right. And it's not helpful and it's not conducive to helping people do better and flourish in society. It's not helpful for creating a positive image of you know, black people in society, particularly black males, right? Hip hop is the only genre where you can literally, I mean, look, if there was a white, I've said this before, if there was a white rapper or an Asian rapper or a Jewish rapper, etc., who was like constantly making songs about killing people of their own race or of their own ethnicity or selling them all drugs or like doing this or doing that and disrespecting the woman, people would be like, this person is insane. Like, why is it, what's up? And it's funny that Eminem is the only person people can throw yeah. out there, but the thing yeah, is Eminem, Eminem talks about killing people in general. And he talks about it in a general, you know, in his, yeah. in a com comedic yeah. sort of entertainment Absolutely. way, right? He's not. Absolutely. It's not exactly. real life experience. Yeah. It's not, but people are, have become totally numb to, you know, black rappers talking about, killing other black people, right? Black people are numb to it. White people are numb to it. Radio DJs are numb to it. Club DJs are numb to it. Like some of the songs that blow up, I'm like, man, if a white artist made this song, this could be a KKK anthem. Yeah, oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. And it's like everyone's singing along to it, dancing. People don't even care. Like no one even, no one even questions it. And then you see certain things that do happen in these societies and these communities. I'm not saying I'm not in the music is the cause of it um camp right i'm not saying that just like video games aren't the, the cause for violence, violence or right. certain behavior etc so i'm not in that camp but to act like it doesn't have any sort of impact on let, let, let's be real one cool thing about hip-hop is hip-hop is very good at trend setting and setting the bar for what is cool right if something is sort of cool in hip-hop it could be a dance it can be a word it can be a way of dressing etc we all know that hip-hop permeates you know, far beyond America, like hip hop has an impact in the UK. It has an impact all across Europe and Asia, Japan, Africa, etc. Right. If something is considered cool in hip hop, then a lot of young people do look up to that and they aspire to it. 
So, and, and this goes beyond music, but just in sort of certain cultures in certain places in general, a lot of what is propagated and what is considered cool is very, very self-destructive. And so I've, I've been talking about this forever, right? And I'm happy that someone like Kanye West is unapologetic in bringing that out there. And it's hilarious. I mean, it, it's crazy. You will get criticized more for speaking out about the negative elements in the culture than you will get for propagating them. Okay. If oh, I that, make a yeah, song, sure. yeah, exactly. If I make a song talking about, you know, killing N words and, you know, disrespecting women and selling crack and taking Xanax and whatever, right. No one's, no one's not a lot of people are going to criticize me. It's just like, yeah, that's the culture. That's cool. Whatever. But if I come out on a radio interview or something, or I make a song and I criticize that behavior, people are going to be the ones calling me the sellout, right? Calling me right. the coon, calling me the house Negro, et cetera, right? And it's like, what kind of culture is that? You know, what kind of culture is that? I guess the question then begs, like, why is it that way? You know, a great uh, question. Why, because, I mean, obviously, uh, I think it started, you know, talk about NWA, Ice-T, you know, like really going back to the, the, the beginning of gangster rap, I mean, those were literally people that were using music to, you know, to tell everybody what it was actually like in their lives. It was them displaying their life experience. And I think it was an important message, regardless of how it was delivered. Mm -hmm. But I think that in the modern era, you have a lot of people that aren't actually living it, who are emulating it. And just because like, it's to sell a record, right? Yeah. I'm just going to talk about it. I'm a, I mean, you even see a guy like Drake sometimes talking about that stuff. You're like, you, you, you know where Drake's from. You know what I yeah, mean? Exactly, exactly. Um, so why, why is it still that way in that culture? Do you think, why is the, you know, the negativity and the violence and all that? Why do you think that that is still what's perpetuated and popular? It's a fantastic question. And, um, I think a lot of it is supply and demand. You know, a lot of times I, I get asked a lot, you know, Zuby, why do you think, you know, should the blame be on the rappers? Why do rappers make this kind of music, et cetera? And I like to flip that question and think, man, like, why are people so drawn to it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? That's like, what's why, popular. Why, yeah. yeah. Why are people so interested in, and this goes, this goes beyond, this goes far beyond hip hop, you know, entertainment in general, you know, music, video games, movies, TV shows. Why are we drawn to violence? Why are we drawn to gangster movies? Why are we drawn to, you know, gratuitous sex or violent video games, et cetera? I think that's a real interesting sort of human psychological question. Um, because if there's demand for it, we all know if there's demand for something, people are going to supply it. So if I'm a young aspiring rapper and I've kind of say I've got the option or, you know, say I'm not someone who's super principled and I've got the option of, okay, I can make X type of music and have a bigger fan base and get more radio play yeah. and get played in the clubs, et cetera, or I can make Y kind of music and yeah, sure. Maybe I can build a career, but it's going to be harder. I'm going to get less support. I'll probably, you know, people are going to, People are going to say like I'm soft or I'm corny or whatever, but you know, you can't blame someone for picking X, right? Especially if they, especially if they are coming from a background and a surrounding where that is sort of considered cool or considered yeah. trendy or whatever. So it's a very difficult problem to, to diagnose. And the reason I think it's important, like I said, is because it goes beyond music. You know, it goes way beyond music. If, if it was just like this is purely in the entertainment realm and this has no impact in real life or what, I mean, how many, you know, how many rappers, like what's the most common cause of death of a rapper? 
murder? All right? Is there any other genre of music where like you, the the way people are typically dying is being murdered? No, it's the not. Culture is real. It's real. Yeah. I so mean, it, I mean, it, it, yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's real, and it's like, you know, what is going on here? Like, what's up with this? the propagation of it and the levels of hypocrisy because of course you know if uh if, if a rapper dies a tragic death you know they get they got shot something like that you know even other rappers are going to suddenly be like oh you know what happened we need to do something about this like we need to fix this what then they go back in the booth and the next song is talking about killing n-words again you know and there it's like this weird sickness that just needs to be be mended and i say this as someone who's kind of got like one foot in this world as a rapper, but also kind of one foot out of it as someone who didn't grow up in right. some of these areas and some of these regions. But as you as you've already alluded to, there are plenty of rappers who didn't. <laughs> there are plenty of people who also didn't grow up in that environment, yeah. but they still they still make that kind of music and they still send out those messages, etc. And it's still considered yeah. cool. And so it's um it's, it, it's it's a weird one. Yeah, it's a it's a very it's a weird one and. It's also strange because people use the term real a lot and people use the term real really to mean sort of like street in many cases, Yeah. Um, even if it's not real. So you can have someone who's not from the street at all or, and, you know, has never sold drugs, isn't part of a gang or whatever, but they rap about that and people are like, yeah, that's real. That's cool. And I'm like, no, that's not real. What does real mean? Right. I'm real. I, cause I don't rap about that stuff. Right. <laughs> and, right and I'm yeah. very open about my background. I'm open. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I went to Oxford. I did this. I did that. I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I'm not a gangbanger. Right. I'm not trying to move my mom out the hood. Um, I've never sold crack in my life. I've never smoked crack and I'm not interested in it. So I'm being real by just portraying myself as myself. And again, coming back to like someone like Kanye, I feel like, I feel like he, he sort of did that from the beginning. You know, he never tried to portray himself That's true. as, you know, I am, you know, I'm, I'm from the hood. I, you know, and, and he was around, you know, guys like Jay-Z, Beanie Siegel, et cetera. But he never tried to portray himself as that. And he still doesn't. Even now, you know, whether regardless of what people think about his music, he's like, look, you know, I'm, I'm moving more towards the church and gospel. And, you know, I'm a Christian or whatever. And he's made an, you know, was making music about that now. And I'm like, awesome. A lot of people wouldn't have yeah. the balls to do it, you yeah. know, so whether or not someone agrees with everything, I'm just like, that's dope that you have someone who is that prominent, you know, that successful, that prominent, that respected, who is just totally willing to, you know what, everyone else is going this way. Uh, you know, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing like, you know, less, less cool in the sort of street sense than just going and making like a whole gospel album called Jesus yeah. is King with, yeah. you know, you know, <laughs> rapping about Fair. Jesus on every song and, you know, not cursing and putting out these messages and whatever. And I'm just like, man, I'm glad that somebody, somebody is willing to do it. You know, roundthex.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is take all your small purchases and round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that spare change into any of over 30 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can view various exchange balances all in one dashboard and round up into different assets all at the same time, and they do all this without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Go to roundlyx.com and use the promo code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin after making your first roundup or purchase. That's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com and code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin. 
Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto, and it's 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's investvoyager.com, promo code SCOTT25 for $25 in free Bitcoin and start trading today. Yeah, I guess somebody has to take take the shot for everyone and uh, mm. and actually uh, have the balls to go that route. So I, I yeah, never, never thought about it that way and I... You know, like I said, I respect his genius for sure, and I respect that he's willing to do whatever. Mm. Kind of like I said, just uh, I just don't like him that much, you know. But that, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people that I respect that are not my favorite, so that makes yeah, sense. sure. So that all that said, who are your top five favorite rappers of all time? Oh wow, I, I um, know five is impossible for me, so it's an unfair question. No, no, that's a that's a fair <laughs> question. Um, Tech Nine, Eminem, right. Jay Z, Nas, and. Probably Dang. Tupac. Dang. No Biggie or Rakim, which are top, probably my uh, top two. But that all yeah, of those they, would be in my top seven or eight. I think I throw out, you got Tech Nine is kind of the left field dude. I like MF yeah. Doom in that role, okay. maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think Biggie would be in my top 10. But um, yeah, you know, I think, I think with some of it, it's maybe because he kind of just didn't have the chance to create as much of a body of work. So... Whereas I can, you know, there's, t- there's tons of all, all the artists I mentioned, like there's tons and tons and tons of their yeah. music and their catalog that I've grown up with. With Biggie, it's like you kind of got what, two, two and a half albums. And yeah. so obviously he's a super dope rapper, but there just wasn't really the chance to have that. And Rakim, Rakim's super dope. I actually saw him live last year, um, but there's not really like there aren't multiple Rakim albums that I kind of like just listen to. He, he, it's a little bit before my time for yeah, it to I think, be. Like, yeah, I, I'm in my 40s. So, uh, you know, that was definitely what I came up on. And also, mm. I just for me, it's more like you listen to him and you can see how much it impacted everyone else. Absolutely. Kind of like you can see that it was all being borrowed. I'm also like Tribe Called Quest, Black mm-hmm. Thought. Like there's a couple that I just think really changed everything. And I, I definitely miss that era of positive hip-hop like the native tongues de la mm-hmm. soul tribe called quest black sheep that's the stuff i grew up on and i kind of wish that we could go back to that and it would be that way and you are kind of doing that to some degree right like you said yeah you know, to a degree it's not you know not as much cursing definitely positivity and, and I, I think that's really great so where does bitcoin fit in all of this for you besides on your <laughs> besides on your t-shirt obviously <laughs> yeah that's a that's a good question man um i mean i so like i said i mean i'm a computer science graduate so i actually i've always been interested in technology and just kind of the future and the way the world is going and i'm also um a fairly libertarian minded person so I want to say I first heard about Bitcoin like relatively early, but I didn't bother doing any research on it whatsoever until, 27, until 2017. Like I thought it was just, um, I thought it was like an in-game currency or just like a PayPal alternative or something. I never bothered to, no one explained it to me and I never bothered to do the research. And then in 2017, I looked at it more properly and 
it clicked for me really quickly. Um, there are a lot of people out there who, you know, you have to, you, you can spend hours and hours explaining Bitcoin to them and they don't get it or they don't see the value proposition, et cetera. But in my case, I, it just clicked. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I can see, I can clearly see the use case for this. I can understand the value proposition. I can understand from both the tech perspective and a political, socio-political perspective and an investment perspective, why this is something that I want to own and be involved in. Um, so that's kind of how I got into Bitcoin. And then, yeah, you know, 2017, of course, the, the market was pumping, gains were crazy. So, you know, the greed factor kicked in and it was like, okay, initially sort of, oh, look at all this money being made. I want to make some quick money. So I kind of got in there, um, you know, read a few books on the subject, et cetera. Then, you know, took the, took the whole beating over the 2018, 2019 period when the market downturned. But um, I didn't didn't sell anything through the whole period. <laughs> just I just kept on I just kept on topping up, and then um, yeah. So so that's why I'm into Bitcoin. I just think uh, you know, given my age, I've seen I've seen the technological adoption of a lot of very major technologies in my relatively short lifetime. So from the internet in general, and then broadband to mobile phones in general and then smartphones in general and then social media and the different social media platforms like i remember different points in my lifetime you know i remember when people thought there wasn't much point in having an email address because it was like well no one else has an email address that was me that yeah. was me i showed up at college <laughs> they were like what do you want your email address to be it was 1995 and i literally okay. didn't know what they were talking about yeah i was like what's an email address yeah so i remember that i remember when you know my sister was the only person in my family who had a mobile phone and, you know, it was like, oh, why do you need a mobile phone? Like, and then, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the, the iPhone was only invented, what, 2006? That's not that long ago. And now, you know, the idea of not even having a smartphone, if you don't have a smartphone now, you're sort of looked at as a weirdo. And then, so, you know, I've seen this happen many, many times. And the way people talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency right now is extremely reminiscent of how people used to talk about uh, phones and Facebook and the internet and email addresses, etc. And I think the use case, I mean, I actually use Bitcoin, right? Like I, I, I receive Me, payments I, in it. I, I use it every single day. Yeah. Every like I actually, day. yeah, I use it. And as someone who is, um, you know, grown up very internationally and has a very sort of global perspective on things, um, and understands like, I can just see so many, the idea of having a non-governmental deflationary decentralized unhackable currency to me the use case of that on multiple levels is quite self-evident um and a lot of the things that put people off bitcoin which are some of those things i mentioned are the exact same things that i i think attract a certain type of person to it right because you'll have some people say oh but you know the the government no government controls it and i'm like Yes, perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right, right? Really? yeah, yeah. I mean, look at so, look at right now. The, how many how many trillions has the U.S. government printed just this year, right? And what's that going to lead to? So the idea that you've got this currency which is limited in supply, and everyone can use it, whether they're in the U.K. or America or Nigeria or China or um, just parts of Asia, whatever. Everyone can use this thing without a middleman and can transact. If I wanted to send some money to like a cousin in Nigeria and I didn't want to get hit with huge like fees from PayPal or Western Union, et cetera. I can just, boom, I'll just send you some Bitcoin. They can use that. Um, 
And then, of course, there's also the appeal of the, you know, there's, of course, there's also the investment appeal as well. If this is something that's going to gain more and more mass adoption, then obviously by being an early adopter of it, there are significant advantages to, to that as well. So all of the above are reasons why I'm very bullish on Bitcoin. I mean, I always laugh, especially in America, where like we probably have the most stable banking system, right? I mean, in America, if anywhere in the world you can trust your bank, it's probably here. But then my, I have friends who argue against using Bitcoin. I'm like, have you ever tried to get an international wire and like waited a week for your money to come in the mm -hmm. United States? Now try mm -hmm. going to uh, your family's from Nigeria. Try going to Nigeria and getting money to Kenya. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's it's basically impossible. So, they, you know, to me, it's just like it's such an obvious layup. But I think mm -hmm. that now we're seeing with all this crazy money printing and all that stuff, I do think that we're seeing a bit of a more like awakening towards the real use case. I mean, what do you think with everything that's happening now in context? Do you think that this is Bitcoin's moment? Like it's time to to prove and shine? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I mean, I think that the like I've been in, you know, in it for about approaching three years now, but I think that with, like with many things, I think there will be multiple waves of awakening, right? Like I think 2017 was a big one, you know, when it spiked up to 20K and that put it on the radar for a lot of people, right? And then, so I think most people now, I, probably most people in the UK and US have heard of Bitcoin now. Right. Prior to 2017, most people probably hadn't heard of it. I think now there's at least the awareness. Most people don't have it. Most people aren't invested. Most people can describe what it is, but they've at least heard of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the next sort of bull run and when it cracks, I say it cracks 20K again and you start getting all of the newspaper articles and you're seeing it in the mainstream, et cetera, that'll be like another wave and then the market will probably downturn again. And then, you know, each time there'll be a sort of bigger adoption wave. And as the technology continues to improve and get faster and get cheaper, et cetera, I don't know, I don't know what the time scale is on this, but I think there will be a stage and there'll be a critical mass hits uh you know on the on that adoption curve tipping point. where yeah there will be a tipping point where it goes from being this very sort of fringe asset an idea that's maybe adopted by one or two percent of the population to i don't know that tipping point could be it it could be at 10 percent. it could be at 20 percent. but there will be a point where it's like oh wow okay very quickly this goes from being something that just a few you know nerds and geeks and investors and whatever are interested in to something that's a lot more mainstream and i think you know there might it might also need to i don't know maybe and there'll be some sort of sort of killer use case along the way or maybe some very large company i don't know amazon mcdonald's whatever like they start accepting bitcoin or they they sort of partner with some blockchain company or something and that just leads to much bigger adoption and an understanding something that the sort of lay person you know someone's grandma can understand the use case of it just as well as a as a teenager can well all our, all our grandmas and cousins were buying it because of us in 2017 <laughs> but but it wasn't for those reasons it was because they thought they were going to get insanely rich really fast and it went badly yeah. which was very damaging but i do agree with you i think you touched on the phone and the internet and all these things are like you don't think about how those work you don't think about mm. what they do you just use them and i think that's whether it's bitcoin or not i think that's going to be the, the truth with blockchain 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that the technology itself is going to kind of be behind everything. You're just not even going to think about how it works. You're just going to kind of, you know, know, know maybe that it's there and hear whispers. Are you bullish on any other projects besides Bitcoin or are you really just a Bitcoin guy? Um, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, I'm maximal-ish, but I think that there, there's probably, you know, I, I believe definitely believe in Bitcoin itself. And I think that, you know, Bitcoin is going to be Bitcoin. I think that there are plenty of other projects out there, um, you know, Ethereum being the second obvious one, which still has a lot of room for growth and a potential use case. Um, and then lots of, other, you know, like, to be honest, I think anything in the top 100 right now, at least on a relatively short term, is probably going to go up in terms of monetary value because it looks like we're in a fairly bullish phase and might be for the next 12 to 18 months hopefully uh yeah, we will see it could, be, it, could, it could go yeah it could go and you know we could have that sort of trillion plus market cap um but yeah i think i look i think sort of 98 percent of projects i don't think are going to do anything particularly useful in the long term i don't know how many cryptos are out there if like three thousand or something now I don't think most of them yeah. are going <laughs> to be, be, there'll be a grand uh, culling where they, we, we lose 99% of them, I'm sure. Yeah, but I don't, I don't like think that's a boom in the 90, you know, late 90s. Uh, I think it'll be mm -hmm. very similar. Yeah, but I don't think that's going to happen just yet. I think there's like still quite a lot of playtime for people who are into their trading and just sort of <laughs> getting their that's ridiculous me. multipliers <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, I think I think that's going to continue for at least several more years. But I think super long term. Um, I, th I think Bitcoin is going to remain the king and stay at the top and just keep getting better and better. Um, but I, yeah, I think that there are other projects that in their own way, shape or form are going to have some positive long-term impact as well. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, so you're a life coach too, and I, mm -hmm. to, you, you, you do one-on-one -on -one training. So if I was a client coming to you today, where do we start? Oh, where do we start, man? Um, it would be starting on what your what your goal is what are you what are you trying to achieve and how can i help you to achieve it all right so i want to be a billionaire and i want to touch 10 million people let's go <laughs> <laughs> okay I, i'd actually i'd actually start with like a, a a why and get a deep understanding of why you want to be a billionaire and why you want to impact all those people and then from there um i would normally go through different aspects of people's lives and see which areas they have the most room for improvement in. Um, that's the way I generally operate. The way I do my coaching is very much based on what the individual needs. So rather than me sort of sitting there and trying to give a lecture or a lesson on what I think I should be telling them, it's more like, okay, you know, let's sit down and see how I can, how can I best help you to reach what you're, what you're really trying to do. Interesting though, you, you know, you want to touch 10 million people, but you're willing to take the time to talk to one. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so man. It seems like there's like a bit of a bipolarity there, but how do you have the time to focus on individuals and how, you know, care enough to actually impact, you know, that one person's life? Mm, well, that, that's, that's a great question. I think there's, there's two parts to that. I think number one is I care a lot about depth, not just width. So sure. 10 million is a, is a very wide number. That's a, that's a big number of people to reach. Um, but and this is something I really learned through my music, especially as an independent artist. It was never for me just about like maximizing the number of people who hear my music or see my stuff, but actually, you know, I've got, I don't know, half a million followers on my social media, but 
I don't treat that as one blob of half a million. It's to me, that's like half a million one-to-one relationships. And that's how, that's how I view it. And I think that's really how you have a significant impact on people. And I also think that, look, if I can help one person significantly individually, then they can go on and impact hundreds or thousands or millions of people. So it's also part of the program, right? A lot of people have their own, everybody has their own potential. So by helping other people reach their own potential, it sort of like ripples it ripples outwards. So, you know, I've never even thought if it's the, I want to impact 10 million people like 100% directly or, you know, right. indirectly, indirectly it might be you know, a hundred million or a billion because yeah, of the network could. effect. And yeah. like you just said, like if one of the people that you coach becomes someone who influences 10 million people, then mm-hmm. by proxy you have influenced their 10 million people on top of, uh, it's interesting. So like, uh, I've done CrossFit for years. I love Olympic lifting and I see obviously that that's a big part of what you do. So because of COVID, I basically hadn't lifted a thing in like four or five months. I finally got my hands on a bar. I went to squat yesterday and my legs locked up at like 95 pounds. (laughs) 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 I'm like 80% off my top. So this is what you do, right, man? Help me. How, How do how do I get back to any semblance of uh, what I previously was? Because I'm yeah. in my forties and it's like, you know, I, I, you actually tweeted about it recently. You were like in your twenties, somebody's told you, well, wait till you're 30 and your thirties, wait till you're 40. And I feel that same way too. Cause I'm just not yeah. stopping. You know what I mean? But like my body is not the same as it was 20 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, how do you address like that fall off for someone in fitness when they take a huge break? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think uh, the same, look, same thing happened with me. Like leg strength in particular has taken a hit over the past couple months because I haven't been able to, like, I've been able to up, maintain my upper body with like, you know, pull up variations and push up variations yeah. and whatever. I haven't lost too much strength, but yeah, lower body I've been training it, but it's hard to replicate squats and deadlifts. So, um, you know, firstly it's dude, it, it'll, it'll come back. Like muscle memory is a very, very real thing. And most strength losses, just like most strength gains in the short term, most strength losses in the short in the short term are um, they're they're neurological rather than muscular. Right. So you probably haven't totally. lost yeah you probably haven't lost much muscle at all, but your body is just not used to firing off those muscles yeah. at maximum Mobility capacity. Too. I mean, a huge part of it is like I just can't get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not even about if I'm going to get the weight back up. It's if I'm going to even get down. <laughs> yeah. So it, it comes back. It comes back a lot quicker the second or third time around. So, you know, the same, I tell people, look, the same, the same way you built it is the same way you'll rebuild it, but it'll yeah. just happen. It'll happen quicker. And it's frustrating, you know, like, I mean, mo- yeah, most of us are there. You know, I mean, I was, I was squatting two days ago or yesterday and everything just felt like 40% heavier than usual and yeah it's annoying it's frustrating because i know what my strength used to be and so (laughs) i don't like going backwards but um you know don't do anything drastic just stick with the program and i mean 95 pounds felt like 250 pounds would have felt i'm not even like i I wish i was exaggerating but i'm not i mean it's really i i think it's just incredible how fast it falls apart yeah it, Um, it it comes back so fast though as well yeah. So, well, that's good to hear that I have, uh, some, I've come back from things when I was younger, injuries and stuff like that rather quickly, but like, it, it's just, I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, maybe I should just run, man, ride a bike, <laughs> you know, like, 
uh, just skip it and not do it at all. So uh, I want to talk about the music business a little bit. Like I definitely had all of the like sort of stereotypical bad experiences, like doing beats, not getting paid, like mm. having, you know, like I got sued for copyright issues because like my core was sort of sampling and all those things. Have you had any of those sort of like the big obvious uh, obstacles and barriers in, in your music career doing it independently? That's a good question, man. I've actually managed to evade a lot of them because I've done it independently. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't really operate inside the music industry and I never have like, yeah, I'm not really part of the music industry. It's never particularly embraced me and I've never particularly embraced it from the very beginning. When I put out my first, my first CD, I was like, you know, I'm just going to do this thing myself and I'm going to focus on the fans. I'm, you know, whether you're independent major signed unsigned whatever life the the fans are the lifeblood of any artist anyone any creative it all comes down to the fan base so i i'm fortunate that i i that clicked for me early um and i was inspired by a lot of rappers you know who had built up their stuff independently even before they got signed guys like too short ludicrous uh slim thug master p cash money like all these people who yeah. i'd seen and it was like, yeah, oh, wow, okay. Man. Yeah, like they've built up their thing and they just own that. So I took that blueprint and I was like, okay, I want to I wanna do it that way. It's going to be slower. It's going to be harder, but I can maintain my creative control, financial control, business control. I don't need to answer to anybody. And I've kind of been doing that for so long now after eight albums and EPs that it's kind of like, I used to get people asking, like, oh, like, you know, would you want to sign to a label or whatever? And it's not even on my radar. Like I don't even not think anymore. about it. No, it's, it hasn't been on my radar for over a decade. I'm just like, no, I just, just do my thing. And I have my audience. I have people who like me and they're willing to buy stuff, whether I release a hat or a t-shirt right. or a CD or whatever. I've got an audience who's willing to buy it. I can reach them. I can make music videos. I can get my stuff on all the platforms. So, so important. Yeah. So important and you know, and financially don't understand that. They, yeah. They yeah. But it's so not I'm, just I'm, music. It's not just in music, man. It's true of any, like you said, to any content creator. I learned this really early too. I mean, record deals used to make sense for artists 20 years ago. Yeah. But then when it started to become like these 360 deals that people might not be familiar with, but where they, you know, they want your show, they want a part of your touring, they want a part of music because obviously they weren't selling CDs anymore and streams are effectively like a loss leader, right? Mm -hmm. But I always approached my music and everything that I've done exactly how you're talking about, which is like, if you can get 500, a thousand people who really, really like super fans, I would call them, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you're super fans who will do exactly what you said, buy it, buy everything you do. They'll consume all of your content. They really believe in you. That's a core for a lifetime of earnings and business and way more than someone who has like hundreds of thousands uh, of fans, but is locked into a terrible contract with a label and is basically like, working and to be bankrupt. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't like the idea of being held hostage in any way, shape or form. This includes being held hostage by your own fan base. Yeah. And that is part of why, and I'm grateful for this. It's why I'm happy that like, I just, I'm just authentic. Um, because I, I always get people now like asking me if I'm worried about getting canceled and I'm like, I can't be canceled because my audience isn't that type of audience. My audience stands against cancellation. They stand against deplatforming. They already know, like I'm pretty open with my, I'm pretty open with what I think and I have been for a couple of years now. So 
look, not everybody, not everybody likes it. Not everybody agrees, but even a, a lot of people in my audience, like what unites my audience partly is just like free thinking and willingness to be a very open-minded and agree to disagree and whatever. So my audience isn't all just like one block of, you know, whether this is down the lines of, I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got like major fans who don't even like hip hop. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Like got, yeah. They like me or they like my podcast or they like just the way I think or whatever. And then I've got people who like, you know, they very much might disagree with some of my uh, political opinions or like, you know, I'm a Christian. They might be like a, you know, a firm atheist or whatever, but I respect them. They respect me. I'm kind to people. I don't go out of my way to like, upset you know i don't go out of my way to upset people or insult people or target people or harass people or whatever so through all of that it just means i've got i've got like a fa i've got an audience and a fan base that like i genuinely like and who genuinely like me and respect me and they're not kind of there waiting for me to say the wrong thing or like i i can tell i can go on to i can I can talk about almost anything. Yeah, and it's cool because a lot of people can't do that. And I've, I no, do get people. It's funny, over the past two years, I've sort of become this magnet for people who are in lots of different industries, whether it's music or tech or acting or the literary world, education, who are constantly DMing and emailing me because they feel like they're being held hostage. They feel like That's they're the being silenced. Coaching. They're worried yeah. about getting canceled, etc. And so they're now contacting me saying like, you know, like actually I, I see how you navigate this. How, how can I do this? Or how do you do that? Or how do you deal with this issue, et cetera? So I didn't, well, I definitely, the answer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it's, they might lose their job if you tell them to do what you do. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, um, it's a tricky one. And you know, I, I encourage people number one to, to, to have courage, Right. I think a lot of the yeah. problems, I think so many problems stem from dishonesty and cowardice. And I, I don't think this is unique to right now. I think like all throughout human history, so many problems just stem from dishonesty and or cowardice. So people simply not being willing to tell the truth or be authentic. This goes for the media. This goes for politicians. This goes for individuals. Right. So much stuff is just rooted in lies and then also people not willing to stand up for what they know to be right or what they believe to be true right because they and want to be accepted i mean do you exactly. think it's basically like truth is dead because people don't care about the truth they just care about consensus right i mean they just mm -hmm. want everybody to agree and yeah we live in the age of the narrative and it's difficult you know human beings naturally want to be accepted and that makes sense so it's very difficult to go against the narrative if if you're in a if 90% of people or even 70% of people think one thing, no matter what it is, and you don't think it's right or you don't or you may be, in some cases even know it's not right, it's very difficult to to go against that and to stand for what is correct. And you, you can see some really extreme examples of this, of course, throughout history. Yeah, um, sure. But there are also ones you know, on a daily basis which are a lot more mild. And oftentimes it doesn't even need to be, you could even have a majority opinion and even the majority opinion can be difficult to voice because you have a small percentage of people who are just very, very intolerant or aggressive towards anyone who doesn't think the way they do. And, you know, we're seeing this happening all across society right now. And no one wants to 
be the person who kind of steps up and gets their head on the chopping block sort of thing. Right. Um, so, but, but when you do that, the, the problem to constantly kowtowing to that beyond the fact that it kind of like depletes your own soul is that actually it just exacerbates the problem. Right. So with this whole cancel culture thing, the only reason cancel culture works is because of cowardice. If there were right. no cowardice, if people weren't cowards, cancel culture wouldn't work. Right. It's cowardice from companies. It's cowardice from um, just individuals. It's cowardice from, you know, because people are like, oh, why, you know, what if I get like, I don't know, someone tells a joke on Twitter or, and they and they get fired. And it's like, look, that's cowardice on their employer's part. Right. And it's yeah. cowardice on their colleagues part. It's like, look, if someone hasn't done something that is super egregious or criminal or, you know, genuinely, sir, sure, some stuff is, is legitimately awful, right? You, you should, you should get canceled for certain yeah. things. Yeah. But if it's just like, oh, you know, you, Scott, you tweeted some, you tweeted something seven years ago, I which is like, a, yeah. <laughs> which is a little bit on PC. So we yeah. now want to like, you know, and it's just like, come on, that's, that's ridiculous. You also, know, like um, people evolve, like, you course. know, like, and there's so much punishment for it because of social media and that everything's out there, but like to be held accountable for like slightly questionable ideas you <laughs> might've had like 10 years yeah. ago that you've probably evolved on is so absurd. It is. And it dangerous. Is. Cause like, yeah. you, you know, you can't put the, as I say, you can't put the shit back in the horse. Right. So like once you've said <laughs> it and it's out there, it's impossible. That, that's an interesting. I, I think it's, it's a really important, I mean, you said two words on Twitter, right? Okay, dude. They tried it and they tried to cancel you. I mean, really? Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's literally what happened. Yeah. I got, um, I got temporarily suspended for, um, someone boasted that they sleep with more women than I do. And I just said, okay, dude. And, um, yeah, a week later, my account was, my account was temporarily suspended for hateful conduct. Okay. So then knowing that, and so like, <laughs> no matter what you do, there yeah. is a risk of deplatforming. And I've talked to, I talked to pomp about this. I've talked to a lot of people, like when you have a certain level of following, whatever, you kind of need to find a secondary way to interact with those people, like basically mm. get them off Twitter, right? I don't know if it's getting their email address, getting them to their website. Yeah. I was part of that Twitter hack and it was terrifying because I was okay. like, man, what if these people never find me again? You know what I mean? Like, or, or I lose that my audience, you know, my people. Mm. So like, how do you like having gone through that and actually had the violation, like how do you make sure that those 300 hundreds of thousands of people can find you if you are deplatformed from platform? Yeah. Well, I, I use a lot of other platforms. So I'm also on, um, parlay. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. Um, I'm on minds.com. So, you know, and I've got Twitter is my biggest following, but I've got 200,000 across the other platforms. So, you you know, I can be found. I have I have an email list as well. I don't, I'm going to, I need to push it even harder than I do, but, um, I do have an email list. So look, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to lose my account. Of course not. Yeah, of course. And and I play within the rules. I I don't violate the rules. Okay, dude, what didn't violate the rules? I don't violate the rules, but, um, it's good to just know that, yeah, we're always on a shaky foundation. I mean, this goes back to MySpace days, right? I used to have three thirty thousand. Right. I used to have thirty thousand followers was the on MySpace. Greatest social media <laughs> innovation in the history of mankind, and I, w- I will die on that hill. Yeah, I will man, die I, on that hill. MySpace yeah. was the greatest. Oh. MySpace was dope, man. It, not, nothing really totally matches it. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I built my MySpace up to thirty thousand people, and then it died a very quick death. So from that point on, I realized, okay, I need to always make sure. Same that I've got multiple platforms and ways of reaching people. And look, I don't want to lose any of them, 
but let me not be sort of totally caught with my pants down so that if any one of them, you know, disappeared somehow or became just unpopular in the future, then I can still, I can still reach people. And I don't think there's like any sort of hundred percent perfect fail safe way of doing it, but the best you can do is to at least consider it and have some type of backups, you know, not put all your eggs in one basket. And a lot of really scared TikTokers right now. Exactly. Great example. I mean, people who probably make millions of dollars because of that platform who are afraid Mm -hmm. it's going to be banned. So I know we're up against it here. So um, give you a chance to shill your book, tell people where to find you, (laughs) uh, tell us what you got, you know, what we should look forward to in the future and where they can definitely keep up with you. Yeah, sure thing. So in the future, you can just expect a lot more. I'm, I'm going to start working on my next album so, soon. I want to put out a new album in 2021. Um, it's been a while since I released like a whole bunch of brand new music and I've got a lot of ideas. So that's on the music front. My podcast, Real Talk with Zuby, comes out every Friday. So that's going to continue. Um, my book, Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody, is available as an ebook on paperback and also on audiobook. You can get that as well as my music and merchandise at teamzuby.com. And um, yeah, if you want to listen to my music, then you can find me on all platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Google Play, Amazon, all of them. Just search my name, Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, and you can find me. I got like a thousand old beats from like 2007 to 2014. You can have them. They're all terrible at this point, but you know, send them out, (laughs) put out an album. (laughs) I haven't done anything in years. Well, man, thank you very much for uh, taking the time. I think it's inspiring and important that, you know, there are voices like yours who are unapologetic and, and, you know, who will really uh, tell the truth uh, come hell or high water. So thank you for that. (laughs) And uh, definitely have to do this again. I look forward to keeping up with you in the future. I appreciate it, Scott. You have a good one. All right, thank you.